This afternoon I preach to you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 30 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you'd like to read along, you can find that on page 545 in the Book of Praise. These Lord's Days were studying the meaning and the significance of the Lord's Supper. Also then Lord's Day 30, how it compares to other similar feasts and other circumstances. First question asks, what difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us, first, that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. And second, that through the Holy Spirit we are grafted into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And this is where he wants to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches, first, that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins through the suffering of Christ unless... He is still offered for them daily by the priests. And second, that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine, and there is to be worshipped. Therefore, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? Those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins, and yet trust that these are forgiven them and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. But hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper who by their confession and life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No, for then the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, do you want to worship God? If you answer yes, to that question that already tells me that you publicly confess that there is a personal God exists and that the priorities and the practices in your life show that you want to dedicate your life to him. If you want to worship God, that is also a clear sign that you are not an unbeliever or a hypocrite, and that you are truly united to Jesus Christ, your Savior. Jesus saves you, 
Even though you may feel lazy in your faith sometimes, and even though you may have some doubts about the promises that you're struggling with, even though you might find that you continue to sin, when Jesus saves you, he also gives you his spirit so that in spite of all these weaknesses that you, you face and that you actually hate in your life, you want to live in peace with the Lord. That's what you desire. And then he gives you the sacrament of Lord's Supper so that you can be assured of your salvation in him. So when we ask the question in, the, in, the, in our confession, we investigate the question, who may come to the table of the Lord or who are to come to the table of the Lord? It's question 81 that we just read. The answer to that question you'll find is very similar to the apostles' answer when someone asked, what must we do to be saved? You see, whenever the gospel preaching is summarized, and you can see several examples of this throughout the book of Acts in chapter 2 and 16 and 20 and 26, whenever that gospel preaching is summarized, or whenever the apostles teach what a person should do if they want to be saved in Christ, they always mention three major parts of the Christian life. Repentance, faith, and a godly life. Now in Acts 26 verse 18, we can read how the Lord Jesus presented these three things as the desired outcomes to the preaching that he commissioned Paul to do. Today we'll use this verse, Acts 26 verse 18, to, to guide uh, and, and help us to understand how the people whom Christ has saved, how they stand out from the rest of the world. The question is, what characterizes the people whom Christ invites to participate in the Lord's Supper? And I preach to you the gospel under this theme, the Lord invites those whom he has saved to the Lord's Supper. And these distinguish themselves, these saved People are characterized by their desire to turn from Satan to God, to receive the forgiveness of sins, and to live among the sanctified. Well, the first goal and purpose of the preaching of the gospel that Jesus reveals in Acts 26, verse 18, is that people hearing the gospel, that they might repent and turn to God. And Jesus describes this conversion, which is another way of saying change, as a person turning from darkness uh, to light, or from walking around with your eyes closed to having your eyes opened up to see the truth. And our Lord Jesus then is using very familiar language. We can understand what he's, he's saying. Even the children today here, they, they know that when you're in darkness, you're unable to see. You're un and, and, you're other, uh, and if, if your life is characterized as darkness, you're unable to see any other way of living. And you're unable to see until a, a light is turned on and, and you open your eyes and you're able to, to look at it. And the light can be quite shocking. It, it may 
even reveal things that are somewhat embarrassing. Or it may be wonderfully pleasant. But no one will doubt that the light is completely different than anything else they've ever known or seen or experienced when they were in the darkness. This is the effect that the light of the gospel has on an area. Think about that. You as a Christian, just sharing that gospel, the, already we sang about it in Psalm 43, this light of salvation, just sharing it with words or, or in your life, standing out. It's right away recognized to be different than the darkness. The presence of the light immediately calls everyone in the darkness to a decision. Do they walk toward the light or do they walk in the light or is it better to walk away from it? And Jesus says that people who are saved by God's grace, they are the ones who truly desire, who want to leave the darkness and they really want to live in the light. They recognize that walking further into the darkness and away from the gospel, away from the preaching of salvation, well, that's like turning your life towards Satan rather than toward God. And true believers really don't want to do this. And when Jesus talks about darkness and light, and he talks about Satan and God, he makes it clear that there are really only two ways to live your life. There are only two possibilities in this life. In the same way that there's no middle ground between light and no light, also there is no middle ground between Satan and God. There is no middle ground between God and not God. People who are saved from the power of Satan, they will desire to serve God. People who turn to God are looking to him for their salvation. Those who believe in Jesus Christ are distinguished by the unbelievers and the hypocrites by the objects of their worship, the object of their worship. What, what are they worshiping? What do they want? True Christians, these who are to come to the table of the Lord, they do not want to make family or money or health or comforts, or fame, respect, more influential to determine their life's decisions than God. Rather than turn to, to things here on the earth, or, or worse yet, to the, the spiritual powers of our day, whether we're thinking of modern witches or, or other religions, those who are saved in Christ have their eyes turned to God for everything they need. Well, making this change, this change of heart and this change of mind, that's what the, the word for repentance means. Changing your heart and changing your, your mind, your lifestyle. That also moves people from a place in the darkness where sins are tolerated and affirmed and encouraged. And it moves them to a place where the light is shining 
So your sins are exposed. And you see that your sins are actually offensive to God. And your sins are actually a terrible hindrance to, to true love and to fellowship with God and with your neighbor. Crossing over from death to life and from darkness to light, we immediately become sensitive to how much our sins and our death doesn't fit us anymore. We are changed people. And that's why a mark of this union with Christ and our salvation is that we, and we read about that in the Confession, Lord's Day 30, we're truly displeased with ourselves because of our sin. When you're in the light, you're truly displeased with yourself because of your sin. Not that we're worried that our sins can prevent us from being saved, but we're displeased with ourselves because of our sins because those sins just don't fit us anymore. They don't fit with the riches of the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. For believers, all those things that are considered trophies and signs of, of strength in the darkness, well, they're not so great anymore in the light. They're actually awful weights that hinder our ability to worship God as his children. That's a mark of that unity with Christ. Believers who have turned from Satan to God, they truly want to serve God as their master, to live in his eternal kingdom of light, to, to be set free from all those sins that entangle. So, you may re so they are the ones who are rejoicing to hear the gospel, that our sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. You know that you are saved and invited to the Lord's supper table if you also truly want to receive the forgiveness of sins. After the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Pentecost Day, and the people heard that they had crucified, that they themselves had crucified the author of life, whom God had made both Lord and Christ. You can read about that in Acts 2, verse 36. You remember what the people did? They were cut to the heart. When they heard what they had done, they, they, they were not happy to hear what Peter was preaching. You see, when the Holy Spirit enters a person's heart, the Spirit also gives them an urgent desire not to be God's enemies anymore, but to, be God, to live in peace with God again. And that is why the crowd listening to Peter on Pentecost Sunday, they asked, brothers, what shall we do? The Spirit works in the hearts of those whom Jesus has saved. They are cut to the heart when they see their sins. When they recognize that their sins make them look like that ungrateful guest at a wedding celebration in Jesus' parable, dishonoring their host with their dirty clothes, they long to be washed clean, to be made pure, to, to look at their, their Lord who they want to honor 
and, and to do so with confidence. Well, our Lord Jesus said, if that's how you're thinking, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The promise of the gospel is that God has provided us this righteousness in Christ. And Peter told the crowd that they needed to be saved from the crooked generation. And then he told them how. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's, it's there before you. And then later, when the jailer asked Paul and Silas what he had to do to be saved, they told him, and it was displayed here as you were walking in, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Paul summarized his ministry in Acts 20, verse 21. His ministry was the work of testifying of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is that you only need to trust in Jesus Christ and turn to him in the eager desire to receive the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be saved. The gospel message of scriptures is that Christ Jesus has already accomplished the forgiveness of sins for you when he died on the cross once and for all, and that we only need to receive this gift. As we're thinking a little bit of the message of Lord's Supper and how that compares also to the Mass as it's uh, discussed in our Catechism. We could say it this way, even though it's not possible to offer up Christ's body in another sacrifice here on the earth because he has ascended into heaven several thousands of years ago, even if somehow someone managed to, to magically bring a part of his flesh away from the throne in heaven onto an altar here on the earth, such a re-sacrifice would not even be helpful because we don't need it anymore. It's not needed. The work is done. The gospel message that is signed and sealed in the sacrament of Lord's Supper is that promise guaranteed of the forgiveness of all your sins. And hearing that, does that make you happy? Is that what you're looking for? Is that what you, you want? Because it's there, promised to us in Christ Jesus and signed and sealed in the Lord's Supper. When the ascended Lord Jesus Christ, he sent Paul out to preach and that's what we were reading about, that commission in, in verses 14 to 23. The Lord Jesus wanted more and more people to receive that forgiveness of sins. That's the kind of God that we have. He wanted to give it to those who, who repented and who turned from Satan to God. And now Christ Jesus invites everyone whom he has saved to celebrate their salvation in him at the Lord's Supper. He invites you because he wants you to be fully assured of his complete work for us so that you don't waste your life trying to earn enough grace in your own strength. 
so that you don't need to live with, with fear and anxiety that perhaps you haven't done enough. True believers will eat the bread and drink the wine of Lord's Supper because they trust that they have the complete forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ which he accomplished on the cross once and for all. So beautifully stated in question and answer 80. And so as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we declare to the world that we share in the righteousness and in the victory of Jesus Christ and nothing makes us happier. Believers are filled with joy to be told that they have peace with God in the Lord Jesus Christ. That joy is a mark of your union with Christ. If you're wondering if you should come to the table of the Lord or not, think about that. Every day we give thanks that, that we may be grafted into Christ's body by true faith and that our identity is shaped by our Savior. What a blessing it is to look in a mirror and to know that we are holy, that we are pure, that we are innocent before the Father in heaven. What a wonderful thing to know that because of Christ's work, we have a place among the sanctified. That's what he also speaks about when he talks to Paul at the very end of verse 18. See, simply having our sins forgiven may help us to escape the wrath of God and to escape punishment, but it's only one step on the way to becoming fully restored to the favor of God. When the Holy Spirit fills our hearts, he also gives us a desire to walk with God. That means every day of your life, you're, you're, the Lord is in your, in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your prayers. You see his hand and you want to live according to his commandments. That's the last objective of the preaching that our Lord Jesus mentions, that we may have a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Well, what does that mean exactly? You look at that verse, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Well, to be sanctified means to be set apart from the world because of your connection, your faith to Jesus Christ. You're a pla you have a place among those who are set apart from the world because of your faith. Every person that Christ saves is given this identity of being Christian. You die to the world and its elemental ideas and you're raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And so believers in Jesus Christ are not like the world. You do your work for different reasons. You speak differently. You don't make depravity, you don't stand impressed with depravity and depraved lives, but you submit to the one true God. Find your delight in Him. And so you believers are given a place among a group, people that, that sanctified group who have turned away from the world to Christ. And then as Paul says in verse 20, 
having repented and turned, you also perform deeds in keeping with your repentance. These are the kind of people that Jesus Christ invites to his table because these are the kind of people who are united to Christ, whose spirit lives within them. These are the kind of things that people in Christ will do. And the catechism then gets to that, sort of the third part of answer 81. Those who hate their sins and yet trust these are forgiven them, they will also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. The little word desire, like want, the little word desire is, is important. Christians stand out by what they truly want. Are we shaped by our idols or do we truly desire to be brought closer to our Creator, to see Him more, to experience more of His love, to glorify His kingdom, His creation? And then it comes down to motivation again. Why do we do the things that we do? It's a very good question to ask yourselves from time to time. Do the old fill-in-the-blank thing. Maybe get ready for school that way. Fill in the blank. I really want blank. What is it? What is it that you really want? What's filling your heart right now? What's the most important thing for you? There should be peace with God, right? If it's anything other than peace with God in Jesus Christ, you're maybe looking for that in the wrong place or you're in the right place, but you're maybe here for the wrong reasons. Members of Christ's body have fellowship with him. And the promise of the church is that there is salvation from the wrath of God so that you can live your life to his glory. The Lord's Supper is instituted by Jesus Christ to guarantee for us the truth of his saving work for everyone who believes in him. That's the gospel that we proclaim. That's the gospel that's proclaimed to us in Lord's Supper. And if you wonder if you should participate in the Lord's Supper or somebody else asks you and you have to think about the answer, the question is simple. Are you saved? Do you have this union with Christ? Does his spirit fill you? You repent of your sins. Have you placed your trust in Christ Jesus alone? Have you proven your repentance by your ongoing fight against sin in your own life? Well, the question is serious. And it's connected also to the form for Lord's Supper, the self-examination. We're going to take a look at that form kind of at the end here, working in the preparation for Lord's Supper for next week. If you look at the questions for self-examination in the form for the celebration of Lord's Supper, 
You'll see the, the three parts again that we talked about. True self-examination is page 603 if you'd like to, to read along. True self-examination consists of the following three parts. First, let everyone consider his sins and accursedness so that he detesting himself may humble himself before God. For the wrath of God against sin is so great that he could not leave it unpunished, but has punished it in his beloved son, Jesus Christ, by the bitter and shameful death on the cross. Second, let everyone search his heart, whether he also believes the sure promise of God that all his sins are forgiven him only for the sake of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, and that the perfect righteousness of Christ is freely given him as his own, as if he himself had fulfilled all righteousness. Third, let everyone examine his conscience, whether it is his sincere desire to show true thankfulness to God with his entire life, and laying aside all enmity, hatred, and envy, to live with his neighbor in true love and unity. And the question is serious because the Lord's Supper is not a game. And so we've summarized the warning and the form for the celebration of Lord's Supper. And so we, we can read, God will certainly receive in grace all who are thus minded and count them worthy to partake of the supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the warning, but those who do not feel this testimony in their hearts eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and of the Apostle Paul, we admonish all those who know themselves to be guilty of the following offense of sins to abstain from the table of the Lord. And we declare to them that they have no part in the kingdom of Christ, all who refuse to trust in the Lord alone or who serve him in their own manner, all who abuse the name of the Lord by cursing or in any other way, all who do not diligently attend the worship services, and who despise the proclamation of God's word or the sanctity of the sacraments, all who are disobedient to their parents and to others in authority over them, all who violate human life or cherish hatred against their neighbor and refuse to be reconciled to him, all who either within or outside of holy wedlock do not keep their bodies pure, all who by stealing, greed, or extravagance lead a worldly life, all liars, backbiters, and slanderers Briefly, all who either in word or conduct show themselves to be unbelieving by leading an offensive life. While they persist in their sins, they shall not take of this food, which Christ has ordained only for his believers. Otherwise, their judgment and condemnation will be the heavier. And it continues, but all this, beloved brothers and sisters, is not meant to discourage broken and contrite hearts, as if only those who are without sin may come to the table of the Lord. For we do not come to this supper to declare that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves. On the contrary, we seek our life outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we acknowledge that we are dead in ourselves. We also are aware of our many sins and shortcomings. We do not have perfect faith, and we do not serve God with such zeal as he requires. Daily we have to contend with the weakness of our faith and with the evil desires of our flesh. Yet by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are heartily sorry for these shortcomings and desire to fight against our unbelief and to live according to all the commandments of God. Therefore, we may be fully assured that no sin or weakness which still remains in us 
against our will can prevent us from being received by God in grace and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly food and drink. And then we see it is truly a privilege granted to believers to be invited to participate in the Holy Supper. It's a sure sign that we have a place among those who are sanctified by faith in him. We belong to a special group of those who are grafted into Christ. We are saved not only from the wrath of God, but we are also saved for something. Saved so that we might adore God's mercies and his faithfulness. In a serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and good works. May we heed the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of our sins continually. Believe in him and live in holiness before him every day of our lives. Amen.